Acknowledge your sin to God and do not hide your iniquity. Confess your transgressions to the Lord, for he forgives the guilt of our sin by his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray and confess our sin together. 
Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Since we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through him. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We receive it with faith and great joy. Let us say together, praise be to God. Beloved in Christ, our Heavenly Father has created all things. He gives abundantly to us from his creation. The Psalms uh, Psalms speak of him giving us food and drink, work, and rest. And, of course, there are all the other things that we receive. And to this we could add our money, our dwellings, the many pleasurable things we enjoy, cars and kitchens. I, I think constantly, or not constantly, I think often about how I'm so glad I have a toilet. Um, I do not want to think about those days when people didn't have such things. Tools and appliances, bikes and beds, all of which have been made from the things of God's creation, and they make, uh, bring comfort to our lives. Let us now learn to receive all of these gifts with thanksgiving. Every day, as we use things, we're so accustomed just to using things and just uh, not even thinking about it. And let us receive them all and enjoy them with thanksgiving to God. Each one of us is to enjoy the gifts of God's creation boldly, without guilt or fear of retribution. So First Timothy says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. We can enjoy these things that we've been given, food, drink, um, all the, the, the great things that God's given us. Let us also use God's gifts selflessly, not as things that we just use to indulge our pleasures and maybe uh, store up for ourselves, but let us instead give freely to others um, and share what we have with the poor, with those who have less. We also need to remember the ministry of the church that God has instituted in this world and support it. And, of course, um, those in our own families or among our friends who have needs. Instead of giving a budgeted amount, which is the way most people think in terms of budgets, and that's fine to budget, but we should have a little bit more flexibility than that as we understand our giving. We need to give as much as we can. Um, We all have plenty and even uh, those who do not have much in this world, in our country, have a lot more than people in other countries. So we need to be able to give as much as we can. And for some, that's not going to be the famous 10%, the tie, that might be less because they don't have as much money that they can share. And others have plenty more 
money and need to give more than 10%. So just having a fixed number like 10% doesn't really work for, um, for everyone. We need to understand it's a nice, we, we sort of follow that principle in our family, but um, there are ways that we can give much more and we need to be um, willing to do that. Scripture says you will glorify God by your obedience in acknowledging the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your contribution for um, the church and for all those who have needs. As the Lord has freely and liberally given to us, so we are to freely and liberally give to others. In other words, we're unlocked from just um, keeping things in our fixed forms and, and just for ourselves. We are unlocked to be able to give to others um, much of what we have. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Please stand and let us sing our hymn 488, Remember Not, O God. Remember not, O God, the sins of long ago. Distressed and humbled low. O Lord, our Savior, help and glorify your name. Deliver us from all our sins and take away our shame. In your compassion hear your prisoner's plaintive sigh, and in the greatness of your power save those about to die. Then safe within your fold we Let us bring our prayers to our Heavenly Father. Almighty God, our most gracious Father, we thank you that you're not deaf to us or that you are uh, unconcerned about us, but that you hear our prayers, and particularly you hear our prayers through Jesus Christ. From him comes that promise that when we pray to you in his name, you hear us. It's therefore as the people of Christ that we make our petitions and intercessions to you. We do thank you for the church, O Lord, the heavenly Jerusalem, the holy city that will one day be made perfect in holiness and in beauty. We've received much through the church. We've received the great stories of faith, of a living faith from the members of the church, from the Christians that have come before us. We thank you for the witness 
um, of words and deeds for Christ, the songs of praise that we sing, such as we've been singing this morning. We thank you for the sanctuaries that have been built where we may worship you. And we thank you for all those who came before us and have given us so much. We thank you for giving us many spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. And we pray for the church in this world for its unity, for its purity, for its faithfulness, for its truthfulness. We pray as well for our ministry here at Providence, for our classes and the teachers, for our fellowship activities, for our studies and pastoral care during the week. Grant that we might be a faithful church. Grant that we may be a growing church. And may the good news of Jesus Christ be proclaimed and taught and demonstrated both for our growth, our own growth in Christ, and for those who live in darkness and sin. We pray that the light of Christ would shine forth from here and through our lives so that others would um, come to know the gospel and come to know Christ and repent and believe. Here are our prayers for the church and for our uh, fellowship here at Providence. We petition you for the preaching of the gospel. O Lord, we ask that you would send out more laborers, even from this congregation, a time when the church seems to be shrinking, at least visibly shrinking, in our country. We pray that you would build it up and help it to remain firm and steadfast in this nation. We pray and, and also for the growth of the church in other places in this world, but we are excited to hear of the developments and um, proliferation of the gospel and of congregations in um, other areas in this world, namely south of the equator. May the ministry of the word be considered honorable and worthy of service to you. We do pray for our missionaries, for Ben Westerveld in Toronto, for Ben Hop in Haiti, for Mark Richline in Uruguay, we pray for their families also and for those churches with whom they work. Within our own presbytery, we remember Covenant OPC in London, Ontario, and their pastor, John Ferguson, Grace Covenant Church in Sheffield as they look for a pastor. Hear our prayers, O God, for the gospel to go out, for new men to be raised up, and for these churches that have been named. Almighty God, be at work in this world, which you love through Jesus Christ. We pray you would be at work so that wars and social violence and rebellions and revolutions and terrorism and viruses would not destroy us. Increase justice and restore order among the nations so that we might live in peace. For we know that you are merciful to all. We pray for the people of Ukraine and North Korea, Syria, Niger, Iraq, where there is great conflict, and in some places escalating, and in our own cities where the homicide rate has increased. We also pray for the church in Nigeria where Christians are often attacked. Here are our prayers for the nations in this world. We thank you for our own blessings as a nation or the blessings we've received in this nation. You've given us many good gifts, prosperity, peace, order, social renewal, liberty. We pray for our national institutions, for our legal system, 
especially those who work within it. May the judgments that are made be just for all and give relief to the oppressed and to those who have been wronged. We also pray for respect for the orders of the family and the church which you have established in your creation. And we pray for the people who live on the island of Maui and must recover from the fire. Hear our prayers for these. Merciful Savior, thank you for reconciling us to you and creating Providence Church. We do pray for this congregation. Let us not falter as the people of Jesus Christ, but persist as the community of your word and sacrament, that we would be a light to the world in confessing the lordship and salvation of Jesus Christ in all that we do. We pray you would heal and deliver those who are facing adversity or are ill or have other needs. We pray for Don and Jeff, for Eduardo and Fawn, for Frida and Tammy's family, for our friends Becky and Margaret, Bob, Caroline, Tom, Phil, Jane, Vicki, Angie, Karen, and Jaden and Joe in jail. We name others to you and pray for them as well. We pray you would give healing, that you would uphold those who are wavering in their faith, and that you would uh, give faith to those who, uh, who do not have it. We pray that they would trust in you and throughout their lives would be, be uh, Christ, hold on to Christ and Christ would hold on to them even to the end of their days. Remember your promise, O Lord, that upon your rock you will build your church and the powers of hell will not prevail against it. In your merciful care, we confidently give our thanks and we make our petitions through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Praise God. 
You may be seated, and uh, we come together now in prayer, um, praying for, the, for God's illumination on our reading. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that uh, we are surrounded constantly by uh, apparent wisdom, the wisdom of our friends and neighbors, uh, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom uh, that people think they have on on TV, but we know that when we come to your word, that these are the words of eternal life. And we pray now that you would open our ears and open our hearts, and that we may hear your word, that we may understand it, that we may uh, love um, what you have to tell us, and that what we hear today would stay with us, uh, not just during the service or for the rest of today. Um, but for many days and weeks after, and uh, that throughout our lives that you would be illuminating us as we spend time in your word and ponder um, the great and wonderful mysteries therein. Uh, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our first uh, Old Testament reading this morning uh, comes from the book of Daniel. And this is all of chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks." On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleamed of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. 
When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except these, against these except Michael, your prince. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. I cry out to God Most High. He will send from heaven and save me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I lie down amid fiery beasts. Whose tongues are sharp swords. Let your glory be over all the earth. My soul was bowed down. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast. Awake, my glory. I will awake the dawn. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Let your glory be over all the earth. Our epistle reading comes from the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Finally, our gospel readings this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Our reading from Daniel this morning brings a new and final section in the book of Daniel. So Daniel has, uh, you might say, units in it, and chapters 10 through 12 belong together as a unit. Chapter 10 is the introduction to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the revealing message from God that gives understanding to Daniel and the Jews. And chapter 12 reassures God's people that he has charge over them even when they are attacked and trouble escalates. Now our lesson is another story that gives divine perception. Daniel is ardently praying to God at the beginning of chapter 10. Well, and even before that in chapter 9. His prayers are full of deep concern for the Persian and Greek turmoil in the world and its effect on Jerusalem and the Jews. A heavenly messenger comes to visit Daniel. And he says, then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Verse 12. And in verses 5 and 6, before that, describe this visitor. Daniel says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. The supernatural figure himself tells Daniel that he is from God in verse 12. Presumably, he's Gabriel, who is the subject of previous stories in the book of Daniel, but no name is given here, and so I'm not going to include a name uh, for him. The Heavenly One did not just show himself to Daniel to terrify him or to impress him. He came by way of God's word. 
The divine figure said, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you, verse 11. So he's coming, but he's coming with the word. He's coming because of that word. It is a divine visitation that is punctuated by Daniel's companions trembling and running away from the mere presence of this heavenly one. And before he gets to his message, the divine messenger tells Daniel what happened to him on the way. So that's a little summary of the story. Now, in our secular world, this sounds preposterous. There are no miracles. There is no divine intervention. Such things as a visitor from God is considered superstition. And if they did happen long ago, they don't happen anymore. It can all be explained away with reason today. At least that's what our secular society thinks. If there is a divine being, he is outside of the world. He's far and away. There are no unseen powers moving about here in this world. There are no angels or malevolent beings at work. C.S. Lewis and many other thinkers observe that our secular age has a disenchanted view of the world. There's no divine mystery here. Science, and this is the funny thing about being disenchanted by our modern world, is it actually enchants us a different way. Science has enchanted us to believe there is no supernatural, there is no divine presence, there is no heavenly mystery, there never have been visitors sent by God like the one in Daniel. Lewis, C.S. Lewis preached a sermon called The Weight of Glory, and in it he said, Almost our whole education has been directed to silencing this shy, persistent inner voice. Almost all of our modern philosophies have been devised to convince us that the good of man, what is good for us, is to be found here on this earth and not beyond it. Friends, we live in a buffered world. In the modern world, it is believed that there is a buffer between the divine or the supernatural and this world. A buffer is something like a wall that is supposed to keep two things from coming into contact with each other. Modern people believe there's a buffer between us and the divine. The supernatural is on one side of the wall and we are on the other. And this means we are not open and vulnerable to a world of spirits and unseen powers. Things beyond the buffer, on the other side of the, of the buffer, don't get to us. And this also is very convenient for a secular world because it means that we can disengage from whatever is beyond the boundary. The stories in Scripture, like our reading from Daniel, don't share that assumption of our modern world, like being buffered from divine powers. As far as Scripture is concerned, the world is porous. The unseen powers, the divine, flow in and out of this world. It's kind of like the wind blowing in and out of a house with open windows. Or it's like an open border with people passing back and forth. Scripture is filled with stories of porosity, which is a word. Abraham sitting inside his tent. Remember this in Genesis 18. Abraham was sitting inside his tent during the heat of the day, trying to stay out of the hot sun, and he sees three persons approaching him. Now, if you saw three persons approaching you, what would you think? You might be a little bit on guard, a little bit worried, but you'd probably just think these are human beings, but not so Abraham. He did not automatically assume that they were mere men. 
He's open, or he was open to the divine, and he recognized them as holy ones sent by the Lord. Standing up, he greeted them, he bowed, he showed them respect, and Abraham said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Heavenly beings were in the world, and Abraham knew it. Another story is Balaam, the seer, who was sent to curse Israel. He sat on his donkey and he trotted along a path on his way to the people of Israel. But all of a sudden, the donkey stopped and would go no further. The Lord had sent an angel to block the way of Balaam to Israel. The donkey could see the heavenly figure, the heavenly being, but Balaam could not until the Lord opened his eyes. Just because he could not see the divine beings in this world did not mean they weren't there. Moses led Israel to Mount Sinai, and as they camped at the base of the mountain, they saw a powerful display of lightning and thunder, and they felt the ground shake. And the people did not believe this was an ordinary storm. Moses told them the Lord was present, and they had better not cross the line and try to climb the mountain or they would die. The porosity between heaven and earth is not straightforward. The divine can move through to us, but we can't move to where the divine is unless God takes us there. The king of Syria was sent, uh, sent his army to capture Elisha, who was the prophet who came after Elijah. Elisha, the prophet of Israel. And he discovered that Elisha was in Dothan, so he sent his troops there and they surrounded the city. It was a common enough threat in those days, this kind of thing happened. One nation trying to steal the assets from another nation. That's maybe how the Syrians looked at this prophet, Elisha. He's an asset. If we can have him, he can work for us. Elisha's servant was alarmed by the Syrian army around the city walls. But the prophet Elisha prayed and asked the Lord to open his servant's eyes. The Lord did so. And scripture says, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha, all around on the hills, around the hills of of Dothan. The heavenly host entered the world on behalf of God's people. And then one more example of the porosity between the unseen divine world and this world, and that's, of course, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, at the right time, God sent his son into the world born of a woman. He was not just a man, he was God who became man. The world is so permeable that God can enter into our very humanity. Jesus Christ himself reveals the per, uh, permeability of this world. I once had a lady in this church who's no longer with us, but a lady asked me where heaven is. And I understood her to be asking, where is the unseen realm of divine beings? Where is that realm where God is and the angels and all that? It's what Paul calls the invisible realm, the realm of the unseen. I told her that we, we must not think geographically like it's a map. But to answer her question, I told her that heaven is all around us. There's a veil over our perception so that we cannot see the divine and all the unseen powers, but they're moving about here and there. It's a very different way of thinking, but that heaven's all around us here in this world. Now, our story this morning is a story, our story from Daniel, is a story where there is open movement between heaven and earth. And it's not so preposterous, is it, that God is at work in this world? God who created the world and who cares about what he created 
when you make something, and if you make it well, don't you care about it? Don't you want it to be treated right? Don't you take an interest in it even when you're done creating it? A God who, created, who, who creates all things and then abandons them, that's what's strange. Not a God who creates all things well and good and actually stays involved and cares about it. It's strange if there was a God who created all things and then just abandoned it. That's even perverse. But the Lord of heaven and earth interacts with his creation, working out his purposes for it. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants, to, he wants us to be good and to do good. He's unreservedly opposed to sin and evil. And it's his purpose for the world to be at peace and to do what is right. And so he is at work in judgment and redemption to make the world the way he created it to be. God is like the father who has children, and instead of blowing them off, he's in the house caring for them, teaching them, disciplining them, helping them, guiding them. In short, he's personally involved with them. God can't be kept from engaging his creation. Now, as Christians, we know this to some degree. We know that there's a porosity between heaven and earth. On a personal level, we know it as conversion, change, transformation. We have our individual stories. God came to me by his Holy Spirit. At some point, he changed my life. That's sort of the the refrain that we hear with these stories. I became aware of my sin in a way that distressed me. And I turn to Jesus Christ with faith and repentance. And for some, this conversion happens in a drastic way. For others, it happens within the regular flow of growing up in the church. But either way, there's an encounter with God. So the line, you can think of the line in Amazing Grace that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This happens because of God's grace, which is his saving action in this world. God comes into this world in grace and changes individual sinners. He's changed you. Some Christians don't have dramatic conversion stories to tell, and I'm one of those. Ask me, you know, how did you become a Christian? Well, it sounds kind of dull. (laughs) But that doesn't mean, that doesn't remove the reality of God graciously working in my life. It just means sometimes it's more subtle or it's more through ordinary channels in the church. It's not just on the private, personal level that heaven moves in this world. God also comes into the church, comes into the church to graciously work in us. And that's the way it is today, right now. God has moved from heaven to earth here in our worship. He reassures us that our sin is forgiven with the assurance of pardon. God is present by his Holy Spirit, speaking to us now with his word that was first revealed to Daniel long ago. He builds up our faith and love for him with a communion meal. God is here today in our worship. Most of you have been in this church long enough to know the porosity of Christian worship with the means of grace. There's movement from heaven to earth personally with us Christians and in the church. But what about internationally? The heavenly one told Daniel what happened to him on the way to visit Daniel in verses 13 and 14. He said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. He had been confronted by another divine figure who stood with Persia. 
The messenger also told Daniel that on the way back, after he delivers his message to Daniel and goes back, he would have to contend with the same ruler. And what's more, there's another one from Greece. There's one with Persia, there's one with Greece. Then the divine visitor explained, I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. And thankfully, he was not alone. The divine ruler, Michael, was also in the battle for the Jews and against the divine powers of Persia and Greece, as is said in verse 20. (coughs) What the divine messenger from God is talking about is much more than God moving from uh, from heaven to earth for us on a personal level or in the church. Our reading from Daniel is about God's messengers and the unseen powers and the rulers of the nations functioning on an international level. God was moving in this world to fight with the nations. And as we've listened to Daniel, we've heard over and over again about the empires of Babylon and Persia and Greece who attacked each other and they dominated Judah and the Jews. But the rulers were more than just Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Cyrus and Alexander the Great and Antiochus IV. There were unseen powers and rulers standing behind these kingdoms. Daniel calls them princes. They're hidden, but these powers are there. Stirring up the embers of pride and covetousness and selfishness and cruelty within the human kings and generals. Taking whatever these kings and generals would give them, the unseen powers blew on it until a fire was raging in the kingdom. And in this way, the nations idolize themselves and grow in their sense of superiority over everything else. Then they want to attack the other nations and control them and take from them and make them bow down to them. And to this end, the unseen powers stir up all kinds of horrific cruelty and evil. The Apostle Paul includes them when he speaks of those whom Jesus Christ has conquered in our epistle lesson. All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That includes all these unseen powers. There are dangerous, powerful, unseen rulers at work behind the nations. And we can't see them, but we can see their influence. The grandiose, destructive schemes and plans of nations. The insanity and detachment from reality. The massive disregard for human life. The insatiable appetite for power and control. The brilliant cruelty inflicted on the ones they conquer. And the paranoia of losing power. All these things are ramped up by the unseen powers who stand behind the nations. And they don't just fight with each other, these nations, and these powers behind the nations. They also fight against God. The messenger from God was sent to Daniel, uh, who was sent to Daniel, was opposed by the unseen ruler of Persia in verse 13. They were in conflict with each other. But it was not a conflict like those between the armies of the nations, like between Russia and Ukraine with all the bullets and missiles and cyber warfare. The unseen rulers opposed to God, like the princes of Persia and Greece, try to prevent God's word from being spoken. The unseen prince of Persia stood in the way of God's divine messenger, trying to prevent him from getting to Daniel And delivering God's word to him. He was trying to keep God's message from being delivered. And that message, we'll get to it, but that's in chapter 11. It's not just this message from God to Daniel. It's not just that. It's all of God's word 
the unseen powers opposed to God who stand behind the nations do not want God's word to be delivered. The prince of Persia did not want the Jews to hear the message from God. The unseen powers tried to shut down Jesus when he began his ministry in Capernaum. That was our gospel lesson. Jesus was teaching God's word in the synagogue, and there was a man there possessed by an unclean spirit. He was one of these unseen, it was one of these unseen powers. And the spirit tried to shut Jesus down. And in those days, it was believed that you could do that if you knew that person's name. If you knew that person's name, you had power over them. It was sort of a magical way of thinking. And so the demon, the unclean spirit, tried to do that tried to shut down Jesus and keep him from speaking the word of God. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and cast him out of the man. And then Mark concludes that whole story saying, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. In other words, the word and teaching of Jesus went out and was not stopped. You see, because of the hostile, unseen powers, the nations are, just, are not just in battle with each other, they're in battle against God. And God is not some kind of a statue stuck in place while all these unseen rulers and maybe human powers here in this world throw rocks at him. And the rocks hit him and bounce off because after all he's God, right? That's not God. God's in the battle. And that's what the divine messenger told Daniel. On his way to Daniel, he was contending with the prince of Persia. He wasn't just walking by, contending God sent the divine one into the fight because God is at work in the battle. God contends with the nations of this world, and he contends with the unseen powers that are behind them. And that's good news. But if we're going to hear this as truly good news, we need to understand what kind of battle this is. God is the superior one in the battle. It's not a dualistic fight between good and evil. Both sides do not have equal strength. There's no balance of power in this battle. God is sovereign over his entire creation, and that includes the nations and the unseen powers. Or to put it differently, there is no level playing field in this fight. The rulers of the nations do what they want to do. The unseen powers do what they want to do. But God will not let them stop him from keeping his people and redeeming the world. Nor is this a battle where God is scurrying around trying to counteract <coughs> excuse me, whatever the nations are doing. It's not like a game of chess in which the players move their pieces one after the other, taking turns, forcing their opponent to readjust their, his plan or her plan. That's not the kind of battle this is. God is working out his own purposes of judgment and redemption. The nations and the unseen rulers behind them cannot stop him, no matter how hard they try. In the story from Daniel, the prince of Persia tried to stop God's messenger from delivering God's word to the Jews, but he couldn't. It was God's purpose that that word be given to the Jews by way of Daniel, and that is what God did. God is in the battle accomplishing what he wants to do. Well, we need help. Nations rise up against nation. Nation rises up against nation and the church suffers. It happened in Daniel's day and it's still happening today. Today the church is suffering in Nigeria and Iraq and Ukraine because of the turmoil among the nations and their proxies, you know, those forces that fight for them. 
There's a guy named Sergei Rakuba who is the president of the Mission Eurasia, and it's a Protestant work. And this mission has organized 1,000 volunteers to assist the people who are evacuating the war zone in Ukraine. And I, this is a little bit dated, a few months ago. In an interview from 2022, he said, I cannot be on the ground in Ukraine, but my staff and friends are, some of whom are driving food to the most dangerous areas. And our center in Lutz, Lutsk was shelled last night. But more than just politics, there is a spiritual attack on the church. And I'm praying that God would show his power and make the gospel shine. He goes on and says, it's easy to trust God when nothing is happening, but it is when we are in the middle of evil that is sweeping all around us that we must rely on God. The heart is bleeding, but as the love of Jesus shines through tragedy, we can still find hope and joy. Of course, it's not just the church that suffers. All kinds of people, all the people in these areas suffer. There's much, there's much we can do to help people. I'm sorry. There's much that we can do to help people in the nations that are in turmoil, but we cannot stop the madmen from going to war. We cannot stop one nation from rising up and destroying another. And we certainly can't get at the unseen powers that stand behind the nation. We need divine intervention. And our lesson this morning says that is exactly what God does. The centerpiece of God's intervention is Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world and cast out the demonic powers. Jesus revealed God's salvation to his disciples. He taught them the word of the gospel, and it's the word of God entering this world to save it from our sin. He sends that word out into the world and will not let it be stopped. God does not stand outside this world. He comes into it, and he's active in the international conflicts. Be strong of heart. Pray fervently that God help his church in turmoil and tell people that the Lord has come to help us. Let us pray. Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite uh, Paige to come forward and Paige Ackerman and uh, the elders to come forward. We're going to receive her as a new member by reprofession of her faith, reaffirmation of her faith, and, um, and then we'll uh, say the creed together. Paige has come this morning to reaffirm her faith in Jesus Christ. And so did we receive into the membership of the church. The session has already heard her, uh, her faith, and has uh, celebrated it with her. And so now it's, it's the actual act of reception in the church. She has been baptized. She's made public profession of her faith in another church. And she's, as I said, been examined by the session. In turn, she, the session voted to receive her into membership and had set out this day as that day. Now hear now these words from Holy Scripture. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Jesus Christ. In our day and age, it needs to be explained and clarified what, what Paul is talking about there. But all those those uh, divisions within society, the way we divide ourselves. The early church had their divisions in the Roman Empire, and that's what Paul's naming there. We have our divisions today, as much as we say we're democratic and egalitarian. Everyone's the same. Everyone is uh, at the same level. We still divide and have our ways of making distinctions. And all of that, um, those, those kind of status divisions are um, taken away in Christ, and we remain one in Him. So I'm going to ask you these questions, and um, if you could respond verbally, please. Do you believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testaments, to be the Word of God, and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Do you believe in one living and true God, in whom eternally there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in glory and power, and that Jesus Christ is God the Son? Do you confess that because of your sinfulness you were totally unfit and unable to come before God on your own, and that you trust alone for salvation, not in yourself, but solely in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your sovereign Lord, and do you promise that in reliance upon the grace of God you will serve Him with all that is in you, forsake the world, put to death your sinful deeds and desires, and lead a godly life? Do you promise to uphold the peace, purity, and unity of the church and support it with your prayers and talents and finances and endeavor to model Christ's humility and self-sacrificing? And finally, do you promise to submit in the Lord to the government of the church and in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life according to the word of God to heed its discipline? Page in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King and Head of the Church, I welcome you to the full privileges and responsibilities of membership within this congregation and of, the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I charge you by the faithful use of the means of grace, the preaching of the Word, the sacrament of the Supper, prayer, the fellowship of the Church, faithful use of those things, and in humble reliance upon the grace of God to continue steadfastly in this confession. And rest assured that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. And to the congregation, I charge you, the members of this congregation, to receive this fellow Christian in love. Remember the new commandment that Christ has given us. Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So here is one of those others, one another, um, that Christ has called us to love. Remember that just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. So welcome each other and welcome Paige. Therefore, as Christ has welcomed you, and welcome each other for the glory of God. Let us pray. Defend, O Lord, your servant page with your heavenly grace, that she may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit until Christ comes and she is brought to your everlasting kingdom. And 
bless, we pray, our life together, that we may serve one another in love as together we serve you. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith together. It's appropriate to do this uh, after hearing, after receiving um, the page as our new member. Let us confess. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made a man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He shall show again glory to Jacob of the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 398, Christ whose glory fills the skies. Christ whose glory he fills the skies. Christ the truth of only light, Son of righteousness arise, Triumph for the shades of night, Day spring from on high be near, Day star in my heart
Jesus assures us his promise. I will pray the Father, he will give you another counselor, comforter, different ways of translating that, paraclete, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Isn't that just another example, that promise of the porosity, the porousness between heaven and earth of God coming to us by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul reminds the church, the cup of blessing which we bless is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break is it not a participation or communion in the body of Christ? This is the Lord's table. Our Lord invites us to feast with him. Those who come to this uh, holy meal promise to trust and love and obey him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. Implicit in that Lord of every realm of life is that he's present and he's ruling over every realm of life. So it's a very much an active obedience. It's my privilege as Christ's member to invite all who have been baptized, profess their faith in Jesus Christ, and our communicant members of the Christian church to come to this table of our Lord. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who though he was equal with you, became a man and lived among us as the servant of your salvation. He came to lead us in the way of true life to suffer and die in order to free us from sin, to bear the cost of our sin, and to be raised into new life for us. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life. He is the firstborn of the new creation, the beginning of the new creation, and therefore of all of heaven we praise your great and glorious name. And we join in heaven's song, Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. We pray now that you would consecrate this bread and cup by your spirit so that we may be fed by our Lord Jesus Christ as we remember his death in faith. May our eating and drinking strengthen and refresh our communion with him. We thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one, and together with all your saints we have been joined with Christ. We praise you and glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come who has blessed us in the Spirit, and to whom is all the honor along with you, Almighty Father, now and forever. And together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood shed for you, given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Father of light in whom no shadow or change, there is no shadow or, or turning, who does good, who does give us every good and perfect gift, and has brought us to birth by the word of truth, grant that we may be a living sign of that kingdom where your whole creation will be made perfect in Jesus Christ our Lord, and live in that very present fellowship with him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is number 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never Spirit.
direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Go forth for God, go to the world in peace, be of good courage, armed with heavenly grace. In God's good spirit, daily to increase, Let's take a moment and look at the insert in the bulletin for some of our scheduling, beginning with our Christian education class today. Um, we're kind of getting on the home stretch of the book, Gentle and Lowly, so I uh, would really appreciate your participation as we uh, wrap things up. Not today, but in the next couple of weeks or so, we will wrap it up. Um, Another note here is the Chinese Education Freedom Fund. Um, There is a meeting on the 24th of this month at 8 p.m. that you can attend via Zoom. You can contact Hannah uh, Hannah Dutt if you are interested. Also, Celebrate Recovery continues to meet, meeting this Saturday. Yes, okay. At the church. Friday evening prayer is to meet this upcoming Friday. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And it's at the college home. Okay. At the co- I was looking for that nod. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, if you want to arrive in a classic car and 50s attire, that's fine. I'd love to have a classic car. Um, that's all I have. Um, in terms of getting to the cows, I mentioned this before, it is the Woodward Dream Cruise weekend. So if you, in the last few years, if you cross at Catalpa, cross Woodward at Catalpa, that's doable. Or you can go down you know, on I-75 and take um, like Campbell up or you know, one of the roads that comes north and then, then come back to them from the east side coming around to their house. But if you get on Woodward, we'll we'll see you the week after. (laughs) That's a mess. Um, Also, Celebrate Recovery, we're now putting that uh, information on the uh, liturgy, you might say, um, that is handed out to the prisoners in the jail. And so it's possible that somebody could come um, when they get out, somebody might come look to the the meeting and um, you know, these are people who struggle with all kinds of things, and Amy knows this is going to happen, might, might happen, but we should be aware of it also. There might be somebody who shows up who just has a lot of needs and is, is um, you know, just getting out of jail and trying to get back on the right track. So um, that, that's, that information is getting out there more. And I mentioned two of those people um, in the prayer, Joe and Jaden. Joe, we had two sessions. The first session, there were about eight or ten people supposed to come, and only one showed up, and that was Joe. And he's a mess. 
Um, it, but it was good, and he, he's the one that observed this, that maybe the Lord, you know, just had me come just so we could talk. So we did. We talked a long time. Um, he's very distressed about being in jail, thinks he, he you know, that it's, he's falsely accused, which a lot of people say that. But um, whether he is or isn't, he's just very distressed about being in jail, and he's facing prison time. Um, he's yet to be sentenced, but he could be going to prison for, for quite a while. So um, that's the, the kind of people we're talking to and trying to encourage. And I walked away feeling like, you know, I don't know if I said anything that really, you know, I try to make the gospel clear, but at the same time, it's, it can't just be ideas, right? It's, it's got to be the, the power of it. And, and that's up to God. It's not my job or our job to fix people. Um, it's God's job, and so I have to remember that. But um, he's someone who really needed that one-on-one interaction. So I, I, in some ways, I became his confessor. Is that right? The one mm-hmm. who hears the confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, they don't usually tell me why they're in there. This guy poured it all out. So, yeah. Amy. I have two things. Um, first, I wanted to thank the Caesars who aren't here, but if you see them, um, just know that I'm really grateful they came last weekend and they helped us set up with um, getting into the sound system and with a really nice projector. And they did all this out of the goodness of their hearts on Saturday. So the sound system and the visual system are working. Um, and if anybody wants to use that for teaching here, feel free to ask me. I can just walk you through how we set up and where all the equipment is free for the church to use. Um, and then the other thing is on September 2nd, which is the first Saturday of next month, we're having a potluck. And a missionary from the Philippines is going to come and tell his message at Celebrate Recovery. His name is Matthew Nicolau, and he runs a Celebrate Recovery in the Philippines. He works for YWAM out there. So he's uh, up in Canada taking his daughter to go to college, but ended up corresponding with me and asked if he could come out and offer to give his testimony. Mm. So if you're interested in a free spaghetti dinner and an uplifting message <laughs> on uh, the 2nd, there will be that here at 6 p.m. You're welcome to come and bring a dish. If you're going to bring something, let me know. Um, we do kind of work out a rough menu a little bit before. Okay. I wanted to thank Emily, who's now in the very back, for on the spot leading us. And she played the piano. So... That was on the spot, on the cuff, and I hesitated asking her, but I didn't know what else to ask. She did a great job, and if you ever need someone on the spot to play lovely music for you, she's the person. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she'll embrace that. Chris.
grew up in Novi's dad was an engineer at Toyota uh, here. Um, but turns out uh, this young man who was in a seminary went to University of Michigan and was a fraternity brother of Hunter's. Uh, Hunter yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. I wonder. And uh, so, wow. your connection, Michigan connection. But thank you for your prayers. Um, I think probably Ben will be going back in the, in the foreseeable future. So, um, thank you for that. The second one is Naomi is moving to Pittsburgh tomorrow. Whoa. Uh, to nursing school, so I'd ask your prayers for her as she makes a big transition. So, wow. A lot going on. How how long will Ben be in Japan? They're back. They're back. Yeah, they're but possibly. for 10 days. Okay. Wow. God is at work. Things are going on here. Okay, let's uh, enjoy some refreshments, and then we'll, we'll have our uh, Christian ed class.